there. Welcome to another life-transforming sermon with Dr. Dazwit Achero. Matthew chapter 9, we are looking at the sheep and church growth. Somebody say the sheep and church growth. The Bible says, then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary, scattered like sheep, weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. We've been looking at the strategies for gathering the lost sheep. Strategy number one was the increase of laborers. Somebody say increase of laborers. And I showed you why we must become laborers working in the fields and the benefits of becoming a laborer. Now, strategy number two is proper perception of the harvest. Proper perception of the harvest. The Bible says when Jesus saw the multitudes, there is something that he saw. When he looked at the multitude, he could see that these people are in need of salvation. They are broken. They are weary. They are scattered. When he looked at them, he didn't just look at them from the face value. He saw something deeper than what the naked eye could see. He saw broken people. He saw scattered people. He saw people who were weary. He saw a harvest that was plenty, that was ready, you know, to be harvested. And that's why he said the harvest is plentiful. We must have proper perception of the harvest if we are going to gather the lost sheep into the kingdom of God. It is so sad that more of us, most of us who are in church today, we love the Lord, we attend church. I mean, we are always there in, in church every Sunday. Every Tuesday, every Friday, we love church, we go, we, we are always present in the presence of God in the church, but we are oblivious of the sorry state of the world. We are in church, yes, but it's like we, we don't know what is happening beyond the four walls of the church. In fact, many of us have turned a blind eye to the souls that are perishing out there. After a nice service, nice worship, you know, nice fellowship, catching up with your brother and your sister after you enjoyed a beautiful sermon preached from an anointed, handsome pastor like me. I'm just saying. After the service, I mean, you, 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 you just go home. You're just thinking about your house. You're thinking about lunch. You're thinking about, you know, the burger that you're going to catch and French fries on your way home. But you don't really think about others who are lost out there. In fact, some of us, as we are coming to church, you realize that the road is so clear. There, there is no traffic on the road. As you are leaving your house, you can see that cars are parked People are at home, and it doesn't bother you. It doesn't ring a bell, you know, in your spirit that many are actually lost. In other words, we don't have a proper perspective of the state of the world. Just because you're in church, you think everybody is born again. Just because you're born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, you speak in tongues while vibrating like a generator, you think everybody is like that. But look, if we are to gain a proper perspective, like the one Jesus had, and look at the world, we will see people who are weary. We will see people who are broken. 
we will see many souls that are perishing and they are going to hell. You know, I've even heard some Christians say, you know, I don't want to be in a big church. I want to be in a small church. You know where? I know somebody. I know the, the name of their cat. I know the name of their goat. I know how many chickens they have. I know the name of their cousin, their grandfather, you know, their, their uncle, and all that. And those things are good. But you can see that that is selfishness. Why do you want a small church? You want a small church because you don't want the many people who are out there to come and join the church. And there are people who when the church grows and it becomes big, they want to move to a smaller church because they don't believe in growth. They don't believe that souls out there should come inside the church, be planted in the church, and become, you know, members of the church. Jesus did not die for few people. Talk to me, somebody. Jesus did not die for one tribe. Jesus did not just die for one gender. The ladies only. Jesus died for the entire world, and he wants the entire world to be saved. So look at your neighbor and tell them a mega church is a better church. So when you're in church, sometimes you might not really understand what is happening out there. That's why we need proper perspective of the state of the world today. Amen. Like for example, unless you go to the hospital, you think everybody is healthy. Unless you go to the hospital, you think everybody is fine, nobody's having issues. You live and wonder, why are the nurses, you know, shouting? Why are the doctors making noise? Why do they want salary increment? Everybody is healthy. Unless you go to the hospital, you will think everybody is fine. But every time you go to the hospital, you realize that we are dealing with a sick nation. People are sick. People are admitted. People are fighting for their lives. People have broken limbs. People are writhing in pain. Even right now, as I'm preaching right now, maybe there's somebody who is dying. His breathing is last. As I'm speaking right now, there's somebody who is badly in need of a blood transfusion. As I'm speaking right now, somebody is writhing in pain. He's just been taken into, you know, the theater for surgery. As I'm speaking right now, we have many, many sick people who have been, you know, admitted in the hospital. Unless you go to the hospital, you might think everybody is healthy. There are people who are on a stretcher right now. There are people who are now calling a doctor to come and save their patients. As we are speaking right now, there's somebody who is gasping for air. There's somebody, here, somebody in the hospital, rather, right now, who is now depending on oxygen to breathe. So unless you go there, you might think, that the whole nation is healthy. And that is how the world is. Unless we go out there, you know, for outreach, we might think that everybody is saved like us. You might think as you're in church right now, everybody is in church. But you'll be so shocked that most of your neighbors are not even in church right now. Most of the, your colleagues that you work with, that you're going to interact with tomorrow, Monday, they are not in church right now. Some of them are nursing hangovers as we are speaking right now. You know, I had a class in the morning, and I, I, I had to go and fuel. And, and where I was fueling from, I saw a lady surrounded with Boda Boda guys. And they were shouting at each other. The lady's shouting, the Boda Boda guys are shouting. And I wondered, hey, this lady, she's, she's very bold. I mean, she's, she's, <laughs> she's surrounded with men, and she's shouting at those men. I said, this lady is very bold. So I asked, you know, one of the guys working at that petrol station asked, what is happening here? And he said, this lady has been shouting like this from 2 a.m. And that was around 6. Tell your neighbor, fear women. 
<laughs> so after a few weeks, I just moved closer so I can try and hear what is this shouting all about. And let me tell you. No, I'll not tell you. So out here, people are going to hell. Out here, people are broken. Out here, people, people are in bondage. What are you doing at 2 a.m. in the morning shouting until 6 a.m.? If that is not bondage, I don't know what that is. You should be sleeping. And you are a lady. And maybe you are married. I don't ever fear women. <laughs> you wake up in the morning to wake up from your bed at 2 a.m. to go and shout until 6 a.m. So out here, people are broken. Out here, people are in need of Jesus. Out here, people are sliding to hell. Out here, people are grappling with suicidal thoughts. Out here, people are in drug addiction. Out here, people are bound with sexual perversion, immorality, and stuff like that. Out here, people are in crime. Out here, people are in danger of going to hell. Unless we have a proper perspective of the state of the world, we will not see a need to participate in soul winning. I'm preaching about soul winning. I'm challenging you to go out there. But there are people who don't even feel nothing. Nothing pricks their heart because they think everybody is fine. No wonder they don't go for soul winning. They don't even reach out to the lost out there. It's because they don't have a proper perspective of what is happening in the world today. There's a gentleman by the name, by the name William Booth. He's the founder of the Salvation Army. All of you know the Salvation Army. They wear white and they march while blowing trumpets. You know them. Something like that, isn't it? You know them. The founder of the Salvation Army once narrated a vision he had while meditating on the state of the dying souls all around him. He saw a dark and a stormy ocean with black clouds hanging heavily over the ocean with flashes of lightning and, lightning and thunder. When the winds blew the waves rose and formed, dipped and rose again. And in that ocean, he saw myriads of poor human beings floating, shouting, shrieking, cursing, struggling, and even drowning. Suddenly, he saw in the midst of this gloomy situation, a mighty rock that rose up like a mountain in the midst of the sea. Around this great rock was a platform onto which some of these struggling wretches used to climb out of the angry ocean. This delighted him greatly. The platform which people used to climb out of this turbulence or turbulent ocean became a lifesaver for the struggling souls in the sea. Then he noticed something else that was very interesting in this vision that he had. That a number of those who were already safe on the platform started saving those in the troubled waters to reach the same place of safety. Then he saw a number of those who had been rescued joining the rescue efforts. They organized for ladders, ropes, rafts, boats, and any other equipment that they could use to effectively save more people from the ocean. 
He also noticed that some of the saved people risked their lives by plunging into the waters to rescue those who were perishing. But he also noticed something that was very sad. Although all those on the platforms had been rescued from the sea at one time or another, nearly everyone seemed to have forgotten about their dramatic rescue. The memory of the dangerous ocean no longer troubled them, and they did not have any agonizing care for those who were drowning before their very eyes. The people living on the platform of safety were in full view of the struggling, drowning souls in the water, but did nothing. They regularly went to hear lectures in which the awful state of the poor drowning creatures was described, but in spite of all these facts, most of them were unconcerned. Many of them were absorbed day and night in trading, doing business, making babies, and raising families. They did not care about the lost souls anymore. They had made it to the rock. They were safe. Their career was doing very well. Money was flowing. They had families. They were enjoying soft life. They were comfortable, and they didn't care about those who were shouting, shrieking, cursing, and drowning in the sea. Ladies and gentlemen, sadly, this is the story of the church today. We are the vision that William Booth saw. We don't have a proper perspective about the dying world out there. After we were saved, we climbed the rock, we stood on the platform, and we stopped saving those who are in the ocean, who are shrieking, shouting, screaming for help, and drowning. We have moved on with our lives. We want more blessings. We want more prosperity. We want more money. We want to get married. We want to make more babies. We are on the platform. We are safe. But we are not thinking about others who were in the same ocean we were in before somebody came and rescued us. We have forgotten that we are supposed to be saviors of men. Somebody saved us. That's why we are on the platform. Somebody reached out to us. That's why we are enjoying the life we are enjoying right now. Somebody came to us, preached to us, invited us to church. Somebody handed a truck to us and told us about Jesus. We climbed from this stormy ocean to the platform. And now we are on this platform. We are enjoying soft life. We are enjoying life. Life is good. And we don't care about others who are perishing right under our watch. Church, it takes a proper perspective to jolt us from our comfort zone so that we may go out there and gather souls of wretched men, wretched human beings that are drowning in the ocean of sin. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. There are a lot of people in the ocean. They are dying every day. They are shouting. They are crying for help. They are cursing. They are wondering who is going to help them. Jesus looked at this multitude and he could, saw, he could see people who are tired, people who are broken, people who are drowning in the weight of sin. And the Bible says he had compassion for them. I pray that you'll have compassion for the lost. I pray that this week you'll have compassion for the lost. You'll not just enjoy life on that platform of salvation. You will go to the ocean and begin to throw down some ropes. Throw down the boat. 
stretch your hand. Some of you need to even to plunge in the sea because you are a good swimmer and begin to save those who are lost down there. Look at your neighbor and tell them we must do something. So why must we have a proper perspective on souls? Number one, for us to see as Jesus sees. We must have proper perspective on souls so that we may see as Jesus sees. What did Jesus see? Jesus saw multitudes. He saw a harvest that is ready to be harvested. The world is ready for a harvest. We are living in the era of multitudes. We are living in the era that God has promised that his spirit will be poured on all flesh. Somebody shout all flesh. Shout it again, all flesh. The spirit should be poured on all flesh. We should be the one that God is going to use to ensure that the spirit is poured on all flesh. We have to make sure that multitudes come into the house of God. We must make sure that the multitudes make it to the platform where we are standing on. We must see what Jesus saw. He saw multitudes. He saw many people that are lost. That's why your, your, your perception must be adjusted. Your focus must be adjusted. How you see must be adjusted because you're not seeing properly. If you saw properly, you could be going out for outreach. If you saw properly, you could have, handi you could have been handing over, you, know, you could have been handing um, uh, handbills or flyers to your neighbors and to your friends who are lost in sin. You need to adjust your percep perception. You need to adjust your perspective on the state of the world. You see, a proper perspective exposes the reality that is on the ground. And the reality is, people who are not saved are more than people who are saved. Church is quiet this morning. That's the reality on the ground. The people who are not going to church are more than the people who are going to church. The people who are not born again are more than the people who are not born again. Look at your office. How many people are born again in your office? Look at the company where you work. How many people are born again in that company? Look at even where you live in your gated community. How many people are born again in that gated community? You can even count the Christians that are in that gated community. Some of you even look at your family. How many people are born again in your family? If it's not only you. So the people who are not born again are more than the people who are born again. And it's high time that we have a proper perspective of the reality on the ground, which will make us go out there for outreach. Let's look at Luke chapter 14 and verse 16. Luke chapter number 14 and verse 16. If you're there, say amen. amen. The Bible says, then he said to him, a great man gave a great supper and invited many. Keep going. Verse 17. And sent his servants at supper time to say to those who were invited, come. Come, for all things are now ready. Verse 18. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. Human beings have excuses. The first said, I have bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Now, I want you to know that the invitation was given not for breakfast. Not for lunch. 
but for supper. Supper is served at what time? It is the evening. You have no business to go and check your ground at night. But people will have excuses not to do what they are supposed to do. They're invited for supper and somebody says, I must go and check a piece of ground and I must go and see it. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I am going to test them and I ask you to have me excused. Still another one said, I have married a wife. <laughs> we are going for honeymoon. And therefore, I cannot, I cannot come. These are flimsy excuses that people have why they should not be born again. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house being angry, say to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those, who, none of those men who were invited shall test my Supper. Three things that we see in this story. Number one, excuses. People will always have excuses. Give people a task to do, they will give you excuses. Tell somebody to go for outreach, they will give you excuses. Tell somebody to, you know, pass on a flyer to the neighbor, they will give you excuses. People will always have excuses. Look, when we glorify excuses, nothing will get done. All these guys had excuses, and they look like they are valid excuses. But let me tell you, they were not very, very important at that particular point. One said, I have to go and check my land. Another one said, I have bought a new car. I want to test it on the southern bypass to see how it hugs the road. Another one said, I just got a wife the other day. I need to try it out and see how it works. Somebody say, mercy. <laughs> Excuses. Number two, invitation. Who are invited? The poor, the lame, the broken. They were invited. So he said, go and just send out a general invitation. Bring the poor. Because the poor will always go where there is free food. Bring the broken. They will always come. Bring all these people, you know, to the supper. And they came. But there is something I want you to notice about this story. That even a simple invitation did not fill the house. A simple invitation to the poor, to the blind, to the maimed did not fill the house. What filled the house was the third thing that we are seeing here. He said, go and compel. Go and compel them to come. And he said, that my house. Talk to me, somebody. The ones we compel will fill the house. Go out in the highways, hedges, compel them to come. That my house may be filled. Hmm, this is powerful. That word compel, it is from the Greek word anakazo. And it means to drive, to constrain by all means such as force, 
threats, persuasion, and entreaties. You use everything within your power to make sure that those who even say, no, I will not come, they decide they will come because you have compelled them. It is not a simple invitation you are giving unto them. You anakazo them. You are, in your, you are in their faces. Monday, you are in their faces. Tuesday, you are in their faces. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you are in their faces. You are calling them. You are compelling them. You are constraining them by all means, using force, even using threats. Oh, yes. You tell them, look, if you don't accept Jesus, you will die and go to hell. And it is the truth. Are we together, somebody? Oh, yes, you tell them what I'm giving you is the truth. This is life. Jesus came so that you may have life and have it abundantly. You persuade them. You, I mean, you use everything within your power to ensure that these people come to the house of God. Christians, it is time for us to stop being timid. We have to anakazo people. We have to compel people. We have to persuade people. We have to constrain them until they come to the house of the Lord. Can I get an amen? I want to add two more words to try and explain what anakazo is. There's another word that is closely connected to anakazo. And it's from the Greek word biazo. Somebody say biazo. Biazo means to use force. Or to force one's way into a thing. You see, when you look at the world, because of the drive to make money, or the drive to sell their products, the world has become very forceful. And they will advertise a bad thing in a good way. To force you to accept it. Even if it is bad. They will advertise, for example, cigarette in a very nice way. They know it's going to harmful. It's harmful and it's going to harm you. But they advertise it in a very nice way until you don't see the danger. It is forced down your throat until you find yourself buying it and smoking. Those who sell alcohol are very good in this business of advertisement. In fact, the best advertisements I've seen in this world are alcohol advertisements. Even in this country, they are the best. The way they craft that advertisement, the way they package it, and they make sure it is prime time, where everybody can see it, whether it is Tasca, uh, Pilsner, I don't know if Pilsner is still there, or beer, Guinness, whatever, they do it so well. They craft it so, I mean, they show these guys who have been working the whole day and they are very tired and before they go home, they go somewhere. When they get to this place, the way they are received, with nice, beautiful, slender ladies. Then they sit down. Then they order. Then they start drinking. Then you see, they show these people have smiley faces. Very happy. They are rejuvenated. All their energies begin to come up. They become strong. They even compare the drink with a lion. Imara Kamasimba.
All of a sudden, you see guys who are tired, leaving work tired, discouraged. You know, all of a sudden, they have new life. Very strong. Catching up with one another. Giving each other high five. Yet alcohol is a destroyer of health. Alcohol is a destroyer of marriages. Alcohol has caused problems. People who have been drinking, sometimes they fight. And somebody goes back home with a mark on their face. But they will not show you those things. Alcohol can make you sleep in a trench. Half naked. With all your vital organs exposed. They will not show you that. They will just show you as you drink it. As it is going down. The lion in you. <laughs> all the ex-drunkards. Am I saying the truth? Oh, they are very quiet. All the ex-drunkards, can you wave? Let people see what God has done in your life. The ones who are not waving, you are lying. <laughs> the world is forceful. They will force this thing down your throat. Alcohol has killed people. In fact, alcohol is a killer right now. Yeah, most of the people who are dying in accidents, most of them is because of alcohol. One time I remember I had woken up in the morning and I was just reading. And then I had, where I was living was next to, you know, uh, was next to a road. I had a loud bang. And I thought, what is this? So I came out of my house. I think it was around six. Went to the road. And I found a guy. There was a, there was a stationary trailer. And a guy was driving. I think it was a BMW or a Mercedes. Driving, going back home. And he was drunk. And he went right inside that stationary trailer. I mean, what they were removing from the car were pieces. And he was drunk. They will never show you those things. They will never show you those things. They will just show you nice, oh, people are just together, you know, drinking, catching up, hallelujah, and beautiful ladies are passing. That's what they will show you. They will never show you the, the other side. What are they trying to do? They are trying to force you to accept a bad thing. They are compelling you. Do you understand what I'm talking about? So the world is forceful with all these things. Look at even the advertisements for condoms. Please, why are you quiet? There's one I saw. And I said, in fact, initially I didn't think, it, I, I didn't know it was condom they were advertising. Because somebody was just walking, you know, I think with an umbrella or something, walking, and then see, it started raining. Then he, he, he used the condom to even cover the umbrella. I say, hey. This side, St. Benedict, you are judging me too much. They are forcing it. And they are making people lower their morals. That as long as you have a condom, you can have sex anytime you want. With whoever you want. 
You see, many of us don't have sex because we are afraid of many things like disease or pregnancy. If that can be taken care of, I think I should move closer here and preach. Should I move closer? I feel like carrying my thing and moving closer. If that can be taken care of, the world goes crazy. The other day, they announced that we have a shortage of condoms. And there was a cry. Everybody was crying. How comes we have a shortage of condoms? And some of the cries maybe were from this congregation. <laughs> Morning after has become a precious item being sold over the weekend. They say, you have it, but make sure you come and visit us. We will sort you out. They make bad things look very good. What are they doing? Biazo. What are they doing? Anakazo. What are they doing? They are compelling you to believe otherwise. Mm. And then as Christians, we have a better product and we are shy. We can't talk to our neighbors about it. We can't talk to our friends about it. You are so diplomatic. You know, I don't want to offend them. When they're advertising those things, they don't care if they're offending us. All they want to do is to compel us to believe otherwise. It is high time we rise. It is high time we do an akazo. It is high time we do biazo. It is high time we go and, you know... And, and, and be in their faces every now and then and preach to them about Jesus Christ and tell them Jesus is the savior of the world. He came, he died, he was buried on the third day, he rose again so that you may receive salvation. And I will keep on coming here until you give your life to Jesus. Even if it means preaching to you for five years, I will keep on preaching to you. I'll preach to you on Monday. I'll preach to you on Tuesday. I'll preach to you on Wednesday. I'll preach to you on Saturday. I'll preach to you in January. I'll preach to you in February, in March, in April, in May, in June, in July, in August, September, October, November, December, January. I preach to you until you give your life to Jesus. I wish I had a witness in this house. It is time to anacazo. It is time to be aso. Because the world is using force. We should also use force. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, you're too timid. That's why your neighborhood is not born again. We are too timid. We are too scared. Anakazo is also closely related to the Greek word anaideia. And anaideia is a Greek word which means to be shameless. You are not ashamed. We find it in Luke chapter 11. We learn of a man who exhibited shamelessness in asking for bread for his visitors. Do you know that sinners are shameless about what they do? Oh, yes. You know, in 1992, I traveled to go to the UK, and for the first time, I saw something I've never seen before. Me, I came from the village. And we were walking on the streets, and I saw a man and a woman cuddling in public. It was my first time I saw this thing. I was seeing this thing in the public. Cuddling in public and kissing in public, and they were embraced 
in a long, they were actually locked in a long embrace. Just there. And we were there. And they didn't care. Kissing each other. And this is not pecking, kissing. Yeah, the tongue goes into the mouth and begins to browse. <laughs> Ask your neighbor, have you ever browsed somebody's mouth before? The ones who are not asking their neighbors are the ones who are really, really, really gifted. In public, I was very shocked. I couldn't believe it. The way they were holding each other. Unashamed. In public. What I saw then in 1992, right now is in our country. We see it. You see people embrace and kiss each other. And they don't care. It's your problem. If you don't like what you see, look the other way. We have no shame. Sinners have no shame. Isn't it? Some even dance in public and remove their clothes while they are dancing. When the music has reached fever pitch, when they start dancing, they start removing clothes one piece at a time. Remove. Some of these artists, secular artists, I'm telling you, they are coming on stage practically naked. They have nothing. No, not even undergarments. With a see-me-through dress. So people are dancing, but they are also trying to see if they can see anything. That's why they pay for the tickets to be in front. Just yeah, they're VIP, isn't it? They want to see if they can see something. They are wishing the singer can just lift the leg a bit. Without shame. Without shame. Now with social media, people are having sex and they record it. Yes, without shame. A man and a woman, they're having sex and they record it and they post it there. No shame. Pornography. Masturbation. No shame at all. Now there's another community that has come out of the closet, LGBTQ community. They can even go on TV and talk about anal intersex, or sorry, anal intercourse rather, without shame. Without shame, they say, we like it. Without shame. And somebody's being asked questions and is answering. So how do you do it? This is how we do it. So when you do, how do you feel? I feel very good. So how many people have you done? I've done with so many men or so many women without shame. So after that, what happens? After that, we go for surgery or we wear diapers without shame. Because the area has been messed up. Ask your neighbor for me, are you wearing diapers? <laughs> then look at Christians when they are 
when they are told, go and do anakazo. Hey, me, I cannot talk to people. Me, I don't know. I, I, I don't have confidence. I, 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 where will I, how will I start? And yet we have a better product. We have Jesus. We have the message of the cross. We, we, we are a living testimony of what Christ has done in our lives. Yes, but yet we are full of shame. We can't stand and preach to our friends, to our colleagues. We are ashamed, yet other people are bold about what they do. What is wrong with us? What is wrong with the Christians in this generation? What is wrong with the believers in this generation? I'm sure if Paul looks at us, he's ashamed of us. Because we are quiet. When everybody else is shouting and talking about all these other terrible things they are doing, Christians are quiet. They are ashamed. They can't preach. They can't be as They cannot anakazo. They can't go out there and speak boldly for Christ. What happened to us? We're on the platform, saved from the angry sea. But we are ashamed to tell people what Jesus has done for us. We are ashamed to tell him that if he didn't come through at the nick of time, we could be dead by now. We are ashamed to talk about Jesus. No wonder our generation is sliding to hell every single day. No wonder our churches are empty because the ship is not participating in outreach. The great commission, I'm preaching so that you may be stirred up in your spirit. We should be louder than the LGBTQ community. We should be louder than sin. I wish I got a better amen in this house. I say we should be louder than sinners. We should go to the highways. We should go to the byways. We should go to densely populated areas. We should go to our neighborhoods. We should talk, we should talk to our friends. We should talk to our family members. We should talk to everyone that we encounter about this Jesus that has changed our lives. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I pray that you will not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will not be ashamed at the place of work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will not be ashamed in that gated community of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will not be ashamed in the family meetings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will not be ashamed where you are and people are surrounding you of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray for a revolution in this church. I pray for a stirring in this church. I pray that your spirit will be stirred up so that you may be azo, so that you may anakazo, so that you may reach out to the people who are around you without shame. May you receive a new zeal. May you receive confidence and boldness to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are dying out there. You will not, you not be ashamed in the name of Jesus. Give somebody high 10 and tell them, I, I will not be ashamed. 
I refuse to be ashamed. I will not be timid. I will not be a coward. I will preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will witness to my friends. I will witness to my neighbors. I will witness even to my boss. I will witness to the people who are working under me. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Since I met Jesus, my life has changed. I've been delivered. I've been set free. My burdens have been lifted. I was sickly. Now I am healed. I didn't have hope. Now I have hope. I was not a happy human being. Now I'm full of the joy of the Lord, which is my strength. If you receive this Jesus, you will have what I have. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. And I pray that you will not be ashamed. Tell your neighbor, I will not be ashamed. I will not be quiet. I will not be silent. I will preach Jesus everywhere I go. I will anakazo everywhere I go. I will piazo everywhere I go. I will anaideya everywhere I go. I will be louder than unbelievers. I will be louder than sinners. Shout yes. Shout another yeah. Stand to your feet. Throw your hands up. Father, I, I release boldness. Confidence. A sense of urgency. In the hearts of these believers. We shall not be quiet. We shall not be silent. In the name of Jesus. Everywhere we go. I want you to pray for yourself for a minute right now. Cast every fear. Every form of intimidation. From your heart, from your spirit right now. Rebuke it in the name of Jesus. You'll be bold. You'll be strong. You'll not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everywhere you go, you will preach. You will preach. You will preach. You will preach. You will anakazo. You will compel. You will use force. You will persuade. You will implore. Oh yes, you'll be in their faces until they turn to Jesus. Hallelujah, until they turn to Jesus. You will not be silent. You will not be quiet. You will not be fearful. You will be azo. You will, be, you will anakazo. My God, my God, my God, my God. Everywhere I am, people will know I'm born again. People will know Jesus. Everywhere I am, people will hear the good news. Everywhere I am, people will hear the message of the cross. Everywhere I am, I'll preach. I will preach without shame. I will witness without shame. I will declare Jesus without shame. In the name of Jesus, I'll be louder than unbelievers. I'll be louder than sinners. I will be louder, 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 louder than sinners in the name of Jesus. Receive boldness. Receive strength. Receive fire. Receive the anointing in the name of Jesus. May God use you to bring souls into the kingdom. May God use you to turn your neighborhood into a CMG in the name of Jesus. May God use you to transform your colleagues to become followers of Jesus Christ.
may God use you to save your family from sliding to hell in the name of Jesus may God use your mouth to preach good news to every lost soul around you in the name of Jesus we shall not be silent we shall not be quiet we shall declare the good news in Jesus name throw your hands up one more time father I pray as the church prayed and they received boldness may they receive boldness nobody will intimidate them nobody will silence them nobody will break their resolve to preach the gospel receive confidence receive boldness boldness to become a witness everywhere you go become a witness everywhere you go become a witness in the name of Jesus I thank you father and I bless your name in Jesus name we pray we shout a big amen Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can now get in touch with Dr. Dazutechero on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.